Hello and welcome to another edition of Illegal Geeks. I'm here as always with my geeky partner, Josh Gilliland. Hey, Josh, how are you? I am excellent, Jessica. How are you? <laughs> I am good, especially because I am very excited about our topic today. I always am, but I have a special uh, spot in my heart for the lead actor in the movie we are talking about today, which is Ant-Man. I agree. I loved this film. It was a lot of fun. Ant-Man, the fact they made an Ant-Man movie is phenomenal because comic book fans know him going back to Clueless. Journey, oh, Journey into Mystery Ooh. and the, the old comics in the you know, beginning of oh, the Oh, you're story. talking about Ant-Man. I'm talking about Paul Rudd. <laughs> All right, yes, yes, Ant-Man. Go back to Ant-Man. So we, we are looking at this from slightly <laughs> different perspectives. I tell you what, I love Paul Rudd. I actually did not know Ant-Man at all before the movie. So, yes, the lead character or lead actor I was referring to is uh, the actor, not the character. But you're right. Okay, you know Ant-Man. So tell us about Ant-Man and how long he's been around. Uh, basically since the Silver Age of Marvel. Oh, okay. So with Hank Pym, uh, one of the founding members of the Avengers in the comic books, also a character that goes through multiple identities. So it goes from Ant-Man to Giant-Man to Goliath to Yellow Jacket, a very complex character. I certainly like his tension with the Avengers. I think that's kind of, you know, again, as a at least I start to get a little bit avengered out in some ways. It's nice to see somebody who at least now is trying to be a good guy, but is a little bit ambivalent about the Avengers and what they're doing. So I think that's a nice angle to take. Well, that, that and the one-liner of, we don't need anyone to drop a city on us. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's like, all right, so there would be pushback. There would be people like, really? Can you guys not level a city? Yeah. Why does it always come to this? Yeah. That's another topic of maybe they could just have an Avengers movie fighting some bad guys. It doesn't need to be genocide, which is <laughs> like we've talked about this before, but a lot of the Marvel movies, when you look at what Loki wanted, what uh, we think Thanos is trying to do, what Ronan was doing, what Ultron was doing was, it, was genocide. Yeah. War genocide. Daredevil was different because Kingpin was basically trying to do urban renewal through uh, redevelopment funds and being corrupt. Ah. And so it's a mob boss using government money. And like that was, I'm making the world a better place. Ah. High crime, brutal murder, all that good stuff. But it wasn't a genocide story. No genocide. So anyway, so back to, yes, to Ant-Man and Hank Pym, who's been through a lot of iterations. Uh, then we have Scott Lang who came along as uh, the second Ant-Man and his origin story, very focused of stealing the Ant-Man suit in order to uh, get his daughter medical treatment, who had a heart condition. So, uh, so yes, that's, that's neat to, to have those characters. And they did a spin on the origins, and that's fine. Yeah. I, I actually, well, we can talk about this, but I really like the flashback scenes. I did too, especially the first one. And I've been meaning to Google ever since it happened, how they made Michael Douglas look like that. Like when I first saw him, you know, I mean, I've known Michael Douglas obviously since I was a kid. 
And so when I'm looking at that Michael Douglas, I'm like, that's like Black Rain, you know, Michael Douglas or Fatal Attraction Michael Douglas. I'm like, well, maybe he doesn't look that different now. And it was just like heavy pancake makeup, you know. I forget kind of how much we've all aged. Um, and so then all of a sudden they show him now and I'm like, holy fudge, how did they do that? So, it, but, so yeah, so flashbacks were fun. But in particular, I was impressed by the technology on that one. Agreed. I loved, granted, spoiler, so if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening now. <laughs> stop listening, stop listening, stop listening. Okay, warning over. The Explaining how the wasp is lost. Yes, that was good and very poignant. Well, it also shows it's a Disney movie, so you're not going to have a Disney. Right. Moms always die. Mm -hmm. Damn it. Yes. It's, they could make a joke about that, but yeah, it's, they'll probably save her in one of the sequels, but yes, you take out a mom. But they're S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and they stop an ICBM that's been launched by rogue Russians, presumably at someplace on the West Coast. So pick Seattle to San Diego. Some, we're going to there. That's the good S.H.I.E.L.D. That's the right. S.H.I.E.L.D. we want to see more of that we haven't seen in a really long time. Yeah. So agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., take a lesson from Ant-Man, because that's what we want you to be doing. Right. So. Definitely. I have to say, um, like I said, I love Paul Rudd, obviously. And so, you know, I've been a fan of his since Clueless and through the Friends years. Um, so it was a lot of fun to see him there. Michael Douglas, I thought was great. I was very excited now that we've already put the spoiler alert in there. Because um, it did still annoy me, even as they explained why the daughter didn't get to be the new Ant-Man or Ant-Woman. Um, I was still, you know, I'm still annoyed by that whole idea of the girls don't get to be the superheroes. So I thought the teaser at the end for her to be the new wasp you had to explain to me. I was excited about that. That and I could see why Hank Pym as a dad would not yes. be. So I watched my wife die. Now I want my daughter to sign up for it as well. I could see the him not being cool with that for a couple decades. Then. I know, but it's still annoying. And you, that tends, it's a very, uh, what, cliched kind of thing in Hollywood, but you rarely see that with a father and a son. Like if, you know, except Finding Nemo is kind of the one exception, right? Where there the dad is, he lost the rest of the family, so he's overprotective of his son. But, um, you know, so often that's always the idea is you have to be overly protective of the daughter. Well, and as Tangled taught us all, that doesn't work when you try to be too overprotective, which is a message I actually try to remind myself of sometimes when I want to be overprotective of both my son and my daughter. But I think but, Tangled is more an issue of kidnapping and imprisonment, but that's... It is, but I also took the lesson away of, hey, parents, if you try to, you know, keep your child too sheltered from the dangers of the world, they're just going to go running off and away from you, so... <laughs> Somebody worries too much. I mean, like trying to take those lessons where I can. But we are way far away from Ant-Man now. So let's go back to Ant-Man and let's start talking about some of the legal issues. Um, and Josh, you are, uh, you were looking at some of the legal issues here. You're the expert on the California penal system, not because you've ever been to prison or anything. It's just kind of, you know, one of those things that you keep looking up for these different uh, projects. So I, I admit I have an odd hobby. So... <laughs> We're introduced to Scott Lang in San Quentin, which is not a place I'd recommend anyone want to spend time on the inside at, so it's probably... Except I did have to say one thing, and I don't know if I was the only one who got excited about this, but when he walked out of San Quentin and they talked about San Quentin, I was like, holy fudge, because you know what the first thing is uh, that I think of when I hear San Quentin is Johnny Cash. 
and his famous concert there, which in fact, a lot of people may not realize this, but that is the first time he ever sang a boy named Sue was at for his album that he did there when he performed called Live at San Quentin. And do you know who wrote a boy named Sue? I don't. Shel Silverstein. From like the giving tree and all that. That's right. Anyway, sorry. So I was very, so I'm like, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash. Are we all thinking Johnny Cash right now? Because I totally am. So I'm the only one who's like, I would go on to the, into the inside of uh, San Quentin if Johnny Cash were performing there. But uh, yes. So how did he end up there? There's a (laughs) Bernie Madoff type of scam that takes place and Lang breaks into the uh, oh my god proprietary i know i had that last night yeah into the residence of the person who perpetuated the giant fraud and steals their money and does like massive wire transfers to everyone that that individual harmed sort of a robin hood kind of moment yeah so there's definitely burglary involved so it's not robbery which we always like to emphasize i did think that was a nice legal distinction for people who think that robbery and burglary are the same thing he was always very careful to distinguish the missing element that he did not have of the threat of violence so in california when it's burglaries in the first degree it's punishable by imprisonment in state prison for two four or six years depending on what exactly the degree is and you also have issues of grand theft, and that's when anything is in excess of $950. Uh, you also have computer crimes as well. Yes. So entering and um, messing with the computer would violate California Penal Code Section uh, 502. And punishments for that could be uh, anywhere from 16 months to two or three years in prison with a $10,000 fine or a $5,000 fine, depending on how many years they're going away. And also with California law, uh, punishment can run uh, concurrently or consecutively, depending on what it is. And so if you're convicted of two or more crimes, and that's another uh, bag of issues on figuring out whether or not it's going to be concurrent or consecutive. But given the fact he has a, Cassie Lang is say five or six years old, uh, there's, it's not like she was conceived while he was in prison because that would be a little weird and a little dark. Um, that would also, <laughs> it's also implied that her father, or excuse me, that Cassie remembers her father prior to going into jail. Yeah, that's true. So timing's a little weird. Uh, I could see, uh, a trial being ripe for jury nullification. Which is, for those who don't know, that's basically when the jury decides um, as the decider of the guilt or innocence that, you know what, even if they think a person is guilty, they decide that the other facts around the case, in this case, the fact that he was robbing from basically a thief and giving to other people, they may say, we don't care that he's guilty, we're going to find him innocent anyway because we either, you know, basically don't approve of a punishment for this or approve of his actions. So you're right. I think that is a possibility. So maybe he took a plea deal um, and they said, look, we could charge you with all these different crimes and, you know, try to serve them consecutively. You could be locked up for the next 20 years or you take a plea deal and agree to, let's say, two years in, you know, the state pen and then you get to walk. Which especially Which, if you don't have a lot of money for an attorney, you know, the public defenders are great, but they can only do so much. Yeah. Yeah. But the DA would not want to risk having a, a slam dunk case decided by popular opinion because no defense attorney can actually ethically argue for jury nullification. True. 
so interesting issues there. So, and granted, I don't think the producers and the writer brought in a team of lawyers to go, let's, let's construct how this would actually look. How many years would he have served? That is true. Yes. A lot of times it is just much nicer to kind of gloss over and be like, he was in prison for a while. Um, even the way I have to say, the way they talked about it afterwards with his, uh, his buddies and who was, was it Louis Louise? I think Louise. Louise, who was awesome, by the way. And I'd read before that he stole the show and he did. He was fantastic. My son thought he was awesome too. Um, the way they talked at times, to me, it kept feeling like he had actually done more than just that one. That like maybe somehow afterwards, he had then gone on to burgle other residences or something. That was my only kind of confusion there too, is I'm like, wait, this does not seem like a one-time gig. Um, there's some sort of implication that he had done this multiple times. And that is the one thing that confused me a little. Yeah, because you wouldn't be a highly skilled cat burglar who can scale walls and break in without practice. Exactly. That like does. if you're just yeah the you know the the vigilante who's going to bring down the big rich thieving guy you know that's a very different story than look at me I can leap over things and I know what kind of safe this is and I know that you have to use the you know nitrogen yeah going like well it's the same steel the Titanic was made out yeah. of it's like okay cool I'm glad we brought Mr Wizard in for this that's that's pretty horrific. <laughs> I'm glad you're a mechanical engineer as well. So I, I, I loved it. I really did yes. dig it. And it was close enough. I mean, they left it vague enough that it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Because there aren't a ton of guys like me or you who go home and go, well, let's do some legal research. And How did that work? Yeah, there are there are people like us, but it's there not. are, and as we found at Comic Con, there are a lot of people who like to think about some of the legal issues that relate to all of this. But yes, overall, I think they're like we'll let that skate. The thing that I had a hard time with from a legal perspective was just kind of this asinine idea. Once he was in jail the second time when he got picked up, um, that they're like, all right, put on this Ant Man costume and then escape from jail, and that's like the best solution. I'm like, really? It seems like it would have been much better to go to the police station and say, I'm the owner of the house. He had my permission to be there. The daughter wrongfully called this in and just let him walk out. Like, I understand it was neat from a movie perspective and this is your test and all that kind of stuff. But like, that just sets up so many problems. I mean, I talk about creating unnecessary problems and as we saw at the end, even, even gave, uh, what's his name, a clue that the Ant-Man suit was still out there. There are a variety of problems with impersonating a defense attorney. Now, granted... That, too. That's right. That was bad. That whole part, that annoyed me, I have to say, about the movie. Michael Douglas, I don't think, engaged in the unlawful practice of law by not being an attorney. However, it's definitely a fraud. Yeah, he definitely misrepresented himself as an attorney, which is different than misrepresenting yourself, obviously, as like a government official or public officer, but there's probably some sort of at least local ordinance, if nothing else, that you can't lie to get into a jail to get access to somebody. That, and it's also potentially an obstruction of justice issue as well, in addition to breaking somebody out. I'd but say the breaking out part would definitely be bad. But I can understand why wanting to be under the radar to not get caught to not pick you know uh, tip off uh darren cross on what's going yes. on 
Although he actually did, because again, having somebody just disappear from jail is uh, going to get a lot more coverage in the news and showing up to say, you know what, he, you know, this is all a misunderstanding with my daughter. So that was the one plot point that I felt was, I know we're talking about superhero movies, but too contrived. So I did not like that. That felt like a bit of a cheat, an easy kind of out. I, ironically, that one didn't really bother me as much yeah. as other things in other movies have. It was one of those like, well, that's weird. Okay, I can, I can I live with it. I like, that's stupid. I'm like, what a stupid way, because that just means you're constantly have this warrant out for your arrest. You escape from prison. Like, who cares how you did it? That's a big, you know, that's way more trouble. But anyway, so I will let that go. Um, uh, I love the cameo. Did you catch the cameo of who the, the first actor to play Ant-Man on TV? No. Garrett Morris from Saturday Night Live. Well, I noticed Garrett Morris, which I thought was cool, but I didn't know he had a connection to Ant-Man. So on Saturday Night Live, they did a superhero party in like 78 or 79, somewhere in there, and he was Ant-Man. Oh, (laughs) that's right. I think I do remember that. Oh, that is cool. So when that scene happened, I I tried very hard not to yell yes in the movie theater. (laughs) Because it's like, they did it. They got him in. Thank you. That is cool. Very nice. Oh, now see, that's really good. And I mean, like, that's reaching far back. Yes, it is. Is that Edgar Wright who came up with that? Or was that a Paul Rudd edition at the end, I wonder? I don't know. But whoever was the Saturday Night Live fan from the first generation of Saturday. The first five years, yep. It's like, bravo, bravo. Wow. Oh, that is awesome. So then, of course, I was, you know, since I do business litigation, I did appreciate the point um, later on we learned that the reason Hank Pym is no longer running Pym Technologies is because his own daughter um, basically was a deciding vote to vote him out, which I've certainly dealt with my share of um, CEOs who've been forced out of the businesses they've started and also my part of, you know, family business disputes. So uh, I thought that was interesting to see. And I'm like, that happens a lot in corporate America. So I appreciated that point. I agreed. I I thought like, okay, they've actually kind of thought about this. I could see her still being miffed for a long time with, you've never told me how mom died. Yes. I I get that from a storytelling perspective. And yeah, kind of being the distant, pushing her away and all that. I like the idea that Darren Cross, who was maybe a little bit unstable to begin with, got more unstable because of his messing with this technology and not understanding. So it's kind of like, all right, he wasn't such a bad guy to begin with. He was maybe a little bit power hungry or eager to prove something to his former mentor. But it was as he got into this technology that his head got really messed up. That and the cruelty to animals issue. Ooh, that's true. Because animal experimentation can't be cruel. And when you're vaporizing sheep, it's not okay. Yeah, turning them into jelly. That was pretty sad. The sacrificial lamb, quite literally, that was. That And then murdering a dude, almost the, almost the perfect crime. Of being able to... You know, to literally flush him down the toilet. <laughs> of course, my thought was, this is a high-tech company. Aren't there, like, video cameras everywhere kind of thing? And even if you don't have a video camera in the bathroom, you're like, two guys walk in, and one guy never walks out. I'm like, even without the actual physical evidence, that'd be some pretty decent circumstantial evidence. Yeah, because when they realize, hey, where'd Bob go? I don't know. No one's seen him. Maybe he's still in the can. Yes. Did anyone look? <laughs> so there, there was that. 
I, I also spent a lot of time thinking about whether or not Hank Pym, Scott Lang, Hope could actually pull off a heist. Because I'm not a big fan of vigilanteism. But I love heist movies. I do like that. I also think because S.H.I.E.L.D.'s gone, Mm -hmm. what Cross is doing is violating federal law. And yes, the FBI should be the ones to handle this. I think there would be a really strong argument to be made that that the defense of necessity would work in this case. Because, plain, clean, and simple... It was a threat beyond the skills of the FBI, CIA, or anyone else. So, And it was immediate, too. I mean, I guess they, in theory, could have been doing something months before, which maybe that, again, waiting until the last minute is a little bit annoying, um, as Hope kind of addressed at one point. But, yes, you're right. This is a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. The right people to fight it weren't there. Also, the point was to keep the world from having this technology that I was going to say, there was that part too, I guess. Hank didn't want to tell the government because he didn't want the U.S. government to have this capability either. So it was stopping neo-Nazis from getting a super weapon, Mm -hmm. which I'd be happy to defend someone with that argument in court. (laughs) We had to stop the neo-Nazis who wanted to finish the genocide that they tried creating in Winter Soldier. (laughs) That's right. You're going to win. I mean, like, no DA wants to prosecute, so you stop neo-Nazis. Okay. I mean, you, you know, like the, the judge would say, well, you, you know this was wrong. You know that you should never do this again, unless, of course, they're more neo-Nazis. I was going to say, unless, yeah. And that's we're all about to face uh, a massive war again, in which case, go right ahead. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to look. Let this one slide. Now, that being said, vigilanteism still is not the best way to do this, and... Hank's actions under S.H.I.E.L.D. would still be the preferred method, but I totally get, and I think would you could defend them in court with their decisions. Yeah. I, th- I think the defense of necessity would carry the day. The other point is Cassie has a giant pet ant at the end of the movie. Yes. So I looked, California has all kinds of rules on importing exotic animals. Uh, there are city ordinances about yes. what kind of animals can be pets. Alameda, which is across the bay from San Francisco, uh, and their list does include insects. San Francisco does not. San Francisco oh. has a lot of dog legislation and rules because of the the horrible dog mauling case that took place about a decade or so ago. Oh. Yeah, that was it was extremely horrible. Uh, but there are rules about animals can't be like a threat to human life. Well, if an, ah. ant, if an ant can lift a thousand times its body weight, you know, auntie could rip doors off hinges and throw cars. Yeah. I mean, Cassie doesn't seem like the type to take over the third grade, but, uh, <laughs> uh, or excuse me, probably the second grade, but, you know, still that's, uh, that's an interesting one because you probably would need a license for that. That is true. Yeah. How do you, that would be a scary thing. Yeah. So it's a good thing her presumptive stepfather is a cop because <laughs> uh, they're going to need some help with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, a skilled lawyer to take care of the permitting process because there's, you know, you're going to have some city officials look at that and scratch their heads and go like, oh, I don't know. This is, 
this is really new. We were not expecting giant ants that, that could be domesticated. Yeah, if they could. I did like the ant angle, and I thought it was really neat when they talked with the different ants and what the different ants could do. Um, I actually was like, I would have loved to see more cool tricks from the ants kind of thing. Maybe in the second one, they'll do more of that, but showing, you know, the they can create kind of their own physical structures and they conduct electricity and everything. That was very cool. That, I mean, the other thing I really liked about this, about Ant-Man, in fact, more than the Age of Ultron, is having fewer characters work. Yeah. Because you can have a good story and you can have character development. And this does have a team. You know, there, there it was are, a good team. It was a good team. And I love the Falcon extended cameo. Yes, that was good. Oh, that was probably the funniest scene as Ant-Man's beat him, beating him up and talking about, you know, how he's really a big fan and he really likes him and sorry about this. I thought that was very funny. Yeah, and at the end, don't, no one tell Cap. <laughs> <laughs> is, again, you had two actors who love the roles that they're in mm-hmm. i mean you you can tell both of them love this from the interviews and everything that they've yes. done so they respect the source material they and they had a good time with it and that was one of the best scenes of the film yeah but to my my earlier point when you have enough a small enough cast that you can focus on people, everyone gets a scene, and it works. Um, that was something that was lost in Age of Ultron. Yes. Yeah. It was just, it was, that was too much. It is nice. It's nice, actually, to have, I mean, once in a while, a big just, you know, basically, it's all action and quips all the time. It can be fun once in a while, but I agree. It's a nice Ant-Man, and it's ironic because it's Ant-Man, but it is a smaller Marvel movie compared to any of the others really, but I appreciated that, you know, it's, uh, it is nice because you get to know the people a bit more. I mean, especially you get to meet and, you know, spend time with Hank Pym and Michael Douglas really is amazing. Um, and again, yeah, you know, uh, with, uh, his daughter Hope and with Scott and everything. And so I like that part as opposed to there's always an army of bad guys and there's always, everyone's about to be on the verge of death every second and all that adrenaline all the time can get a little bit old. So it's nice that they have some of these movies that maybe they'll start to do more of these movies that are a little bit smaller. And it's okay to feel good. Mm-hmm. We learned that with Guardians of the Galaxy. They yes. did. It's okay to feel good. You know, the fight scene with... Uh, disintegration playing (laughs) it's like well done well done that was good we need more of that sort of thing well on the flip side we have to talk briefly before we go you have to explain to me a little bit about the very final teaser trailer thing at the end of all the credits which i was just like holy cow which is funny only even obliquely references ant-man um but was still hugely significant because at the end, of course, of Winter Soldier, Captain, you know, Cap, Captain America knew who Bucky was, but he didn't have him and Bucky didn't know. And then there's this scene and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. So they just expedited Winter Soldier or, or excuse me, Civil War off the charts because yeah. they've caught Bucky. Good. We there's the reference to a an accord or proclamation that's come out so it's international law of some kind has come out that probably treaty you know that's probably going to be the basis of civil war on what's going on so 
and there's probably an issue with Bucky, uh, somebody wanting to prosecute him. Sure. Because God knows how many people he killed over decades mm-hmm. being the fist of Hydra. And so hearing the Falcon say, I know a guy. Like, well, and hearing Cap say that he doesn't want to tell Iron Man, right? I mean, that also kind of sets up, maybe this is the beginning of the divide between Captain America and Iron Man for Civil War. Probably. You know, and it's interesting looking at the motivations because Cap is going to come across as the civil libertarian. Mm-hmm. Iron Man's, in my view, kind of conflicted to figure out what his motivations are because here you have a guy who will play God. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, I'm just going to go make a killer Android with alien technology and just cause. Cause I can do it. Cause I'm that smart and why not do it? And then it's going to be, now I'm going to push international law mm-hmm. for either registering people or conscripting people. God knows what that's the motivation is, but that almost seems in conflict with his I'll do what I want attitude. Sort of libertarian attitude that he has at other times. Mm-hmm. So it, it's huge. I mean, because it, it, it speeds up the plot yeah. to Civil War and pushes down the gas pedal. So it's like yeah. awesome. We Civil can, War comes out next year? Next year. And so that has a huge cast. So part of me is yeah. a, little, a little nervous. It depends how they do it. If they do it like... X-Men Days of Future Past, where you have characters come in for a little bit, interact with the main character or characters, then leave. Yeah. It can work. Yeah. Like if Ant-Man comes in to do like, has like a four minute scene helping with something, that can work. Spider-Man's in a seven minute fight scene, that can work. And then it just moves on. But you have the same main people throughout the entire thing without a huge Avengers-sized cast for the entire thing. Yeah, and this is a team that you know, that did Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. so they should I, – I, I trust them. Yeah, Winter That's Soldier it. was good. I, I still think Winter Soldier is my favorite. I actually do too, which is surprising because Captain America has never been my favorite superhero at all. But I, And I – I don't know if it's with the connections to shield that made it so much better or it was just so well done but yeah winter soldier is still my favorite too and i love guardians but i think of it more as like a sci-fi adventure movie like yes yeah. it, there, there are the cosmic comics and like and i'm not trying to diminish that but those are probably my two favorite out of all of them yeah for totally different reasons yeah uh, I really did enjoy Ant-Man. I really, really did. And I would, I would love to own the Blu-ray when it comes out, so I, I, I give it very high marks. Hmm. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what the future holds for next summer with the, the next movies coming out. Well, so much stuff to discuss, but it was fun talking Ant-Man with you today. Um, and uh, I look forward to discussing the next geeky thing. Definitely, Jessica. And America, thank you for listening. Stay geeky. Stay geeky, America.